Scripture reading this morning will be read from 1 John 5, 4, and 5. 1 John 5, 4, and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence if you are visiting. We are grateful that you have chosen to come and be with us today. As always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're very thankful for the number of visitors that come our way from week to week. We have had a number of people that have placed membership with us and we are very grateful for that. It may be that you're in the process of looking for a church home and we encourage you to consider the work here. We would love to have you come and join hands with us as we do our best to make known New Testament Christianity in this community. We're very grateful for all the blessings that we enjoy as God's people. And one of the blessings that we have is worship. And there are many byproducts of worship, and one of which is fellowship. And it's always great to be with God's people. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 5 today, verses 1 through 5, as we talk about victorious living. Everyone likes success. For the most part, all of us like to experience victory. Well, the Bible assures us that one of the ways to experience victory in the spiritual realm is through faith. Faith is indeed the victory. And so we're going to be thinking for the next few moments about victorious living and what it means to live a life of faith. I want us to begin our study by talking about the value of faith. As we think about the value of faith, there are at least three things that I believe we would do well to consider in connection with our overall theme, victorious living. And as we look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, the first thing that I think we need to consider has to do with the investigation of faith. It is incumbent on us to investigate the claims that are made in the scriptures about Jesus. There are a lot of people in our world today that have many questions about Jesus. And I would freely grant that we can read about the historical Jesus. There is a lot of secular information that has to do with the life and times of Jesus Christ, the one that we know as the Son of God. In 1 John 5 verse 1, John said, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And so we have to investigate what is said about the Son of God, what is said about Jesus. And I guess the first thing that I would ask is simply this. Do you believe what God said about his son. You know, it's one thing to take the testimony of men. It's one thing to look at what secular history has recorded. But what about what God in heaven has said? When we talk about faith, faith, of course, if it's going to be blessed, must be obedient. But we have to literally investigate what God has said about his son. And God has 
made some declarations about his son. Back in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 3, we read where Jesus was baptized by John the Immerser, John the Baptist, in the river Jordan. And the Bible tells us that God the Father spoke from heaven on that occasion. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So here you have God lending testimony that this is his divine son. And then in Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus was transfigured on the mountaintop in the presence of Peter, James, and John, Matthew tells us on that occasion that Moses and Elijah appeared. And God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So God has spoken. In 1 John chapter 5, listen if you would to what John says in verse 9 about the testimony given by God concerning his Son. He said, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And so the bottom line is, if we fail to respect what God has said about his son, the testimony that he has given relative to his son, then we make him a liar. And then there is a second question. Do we believe what the word of God says about the son? Now again, we talk about investigating faith. And, And I think that all of us owe it to ourselves to investigate to look at the claims that are made and then draw some conclusions. What does the Bible say? What does the word of God have to say about Jesus? Now John said whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is of course born of God. And the idea is that we accept the claims made about Jesus that he was and is the Messiah, the anointed one the Son of God, the one who came to redeem the human family from sin. The Bible tells us on numerous occasions that Jesus is the Christ. Go back and look at John chapter 1. John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In verse 14, John would say, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John here simply saying that the word, this eternal logos, became God incarnate. In other words, he tabernacled in human flesh. And John said, we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now in that same chapter, in John chapter 1, you have John the Baptist lending his testimony about Jesus. He said in John chapter 1 that Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so here, John the Baptist placing his stamp 
of approval on the Son of God. And over and over again, we read of instances where Jesus is identified as the Son of God. In chapter 6 of the book of John, Jesus had declared himself to be the bread of life that came down from heaven. And of course, he came to do the will of the Father in verse 38 of John chapter 6. Many of the Jews that were present on that occasion had difficulty accepting this great truth. And so John tells us, many of his disciples went back, walked no more with him. Jesus then asked the question, will you also go away? Simon Peter spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. And we believe and have come to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Peter, acknowledging the fact that they had come to appreciate, to believe the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be, God's Son. The centurion when Jesus died on the cross, that Roman centurion cried out and said, truly this man was the son of God. Here was a man that had the opportunity to examine the evidence and his conclusion was, he's a son of God. And then over in 1 John chapter one, John in a very painstaking way identifies the incarnate Christ he said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which our eyes have looked upon, which our hands have handled. What's John saying? He's saying that Christ did indeed come in the flesh. <clears throat> so the investigation of faith. But then there is the imperative of faith. John said, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Faith compels us to accept the testimony that Jesus gave regarding the new birth. In other words, we don't quibble about it. We don't question it. We don't try to circumvent what, what Jesus said about the new birth. We accept it on his terms. In John chapter 3, Jesus discussed how we are born again, how we become a part of God's family. Jesus in that context had a conversation with Nicodemus who was a ruler among the Jewish people. And he told Nicodemus, verily, verily, or assuredly, assuredly, I say to you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse five, he said, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He went on to say in verse, in verse seven, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. What does it mean to be born again? It means to accept the testimony given about Jesus that he is the son of God, to repent of sins, confess his name, and to be buried with him in a watery grave of baptism, to rise, to walk in newness of life, to become a part of the family of God, to have God as our spiritual father. And so that is the imperative of faith, accepting the terms of admission into the kingdom of God, being born again, Peter talks about how we are born again, not by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And so I think about taking the simple truths of the gospel and then making application and obeying. And then there is, I guess, one other thing that we would want to look at as we think about the value of faith. And we talk about the importance of investigating the faith, and we have, we, have, we have to investigate the claims that are made in Scripture. And then we talk about the imperative of faith. But there is also the importance of faith. 
Why is it important that I believe what the Bible has to say about Jesus? Why is it important that I come to the conclusion that Jesus is the divine son of God? Let me sum it up for you this way. Without Jesus, all, A-L-L, all is lost. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. In verse 11, John said, this is a testimony, this is a record, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. John here is simply saying that if you have Jesus, if you are connected to him, if you have a relationship with him, then you enjoy the benefits and the blessings of eternal life. You are in a safe condition. You are among the redeemed, the saved, the cleansed. You belong to the body of Christ. But if you do not have Jesus in your life, there is a disconnect there. You can't have a relationship with God the Father without having a relationship with Jesus Christ the Son. And so the bottom line is, without Jesus, all is lost. There have been battleships sunk, sunken at sea. And the cry that, that rang forth, all is lost. There have been homes that have perished by fire. And the cry, all is lost. There have been accidents that have occurred all across this country. And the cry that came ringing out, all is lost. Now let me tell you what, if you don't have Jesus in your life, all is lost. You don't have anything. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So, the value of faith and then validating our faith. The validation of faith. How do we validate our faith. How do we demonstrate our faith? You ever thought about that? How do you demonstrate your faith in the Son of God? Well, listen if you would to what John has to say in verses 2 and 3. And really, when you look at faith, love, and obedience, they're all intertwined. The kind of faith that the Bible talks about is an active faith, an obedient faith. And so the first question that I would ask is this. What is it that motivates us to obey God? Why do you obey God? Well, listen to what John said in verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome or wearisome or toilsome. John here is saying that the acid test by which we demonstrate our love for the Lord is by obeying his will. Now, why do we keep the commandments of God? Somebody might say, well, because God expects us to keep his commands. That's true, he does. But what is it that motivates us to keep the commands of God? What ought to motivate us to keep the commands of God is our love for him. Do you remember what John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8? He said, God is love. But in verse 19 of that same chapter, he said, we love him because he first loved us. 
when you and I come to an appreciation of all that God has done for us, when we step back and we begin to process everything that God in his great love has done for us, then we begin developing a sense of love for God. As we grow older and mature in the faith, what happens? Hopefully and prayerfully, our love for God is growing. And so we are motivated by love. Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 4, God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be something if all of us developed that same kind of love where people could talk about us and speak of the great love that we have for God. Now, when we put into action his commands, we're doing that. Why? Well, because God said to? Absolutely. But hopefully what undergirds that, what motivates us to do that, is that sense of love, that, that desire to do his will because we love him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, let me say this. We talk about that which motivates us to obey God. But I want you to think with me for a moment about manifesting our obedience to God. How do we demonstrate our love for God? Well, again, we have to go back to this idea of putting into practice his commands. We put into practice his commands because we love him. We demonstrate that love by doing what he says. So in verse 2 he said, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. One of God's commands is that we love one another. We love one another because God expects us to love one another. But we're motivated by the love of God and by our own love for God to love one another. There's vertical love, there's horizontal love. But we are putting into practice what God has said. Now Jesus said in John chapter 13 verse 35, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. When people see us loving one another, what's that, what is that evidence? It evidences our love for God, our love for his word, our respect for his word, and a willingness to comply with his will. Now I want you to think with me for a moment. We talk about being motivated to obey God and then manifesting our obedience to the will of God. There are a lot of things that we do as Christians, and maybe there is a sense in which we feel compelled to do it because that's what the Bible says. But when we develop a sense of genuine love and appreciation in our heart of hearts, then everything that we do for his cause will be a labor of love as the Hebrew writer talks about in Hebrews chapter 6. Why do I love as Jesus taught me to love? Well, because I love the Lord. Now, John said, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. When we love one another, we're putting into practice what the Lord wants us to put into practice. But that is not a burden to be borne but rather we do it because we love the Lord and we love his people. There are a lot of things that we do in the name of Christ that we ought to be doing because we love him. And if we have that genuine, heartfelt love in our heart for the Lord, there are a lot of things that we would never question. 
Let me just illustrate it this way. We talk about coming to worship on the first day of the week or coming to Bible study. When you love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, and mind and you genuinely have him at the apex of your life, let me tell you what, you'll be here. You'll be here not because it's a burden, not because you feel like you just have to be here because God expects you to be here, even though he does expect you to be here. You'll be here because you love him, because you want to be in his presence, because you want to be with his people. By the same token, why do we practice the golden rule? Because we love the Lord and we want to show our love for the Lord by doing what he says. Jesus said that we are to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Whatever you would have men do unto you, do you also unto them. This is the law and the prophets. Why is it that we bear one another's burdens? Because, because we love the Lord, because we love his word, because we want to do what he says, as Paul talks about in Galatians 6.2. Why do we help those who are in need, as Paul talks about in Galatians 6.10? Because we love the Lord and because we love his word and because we're motivated by love and we're manifesting this love. It was said of Jesus in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, he went about doing good. Why do we go about doing good? Because we love the Lord and we love his word and we want to demonstrate our faith and love by doing what? By doing what he did, walking in his footsteps. Now, there is a third thing that I want to call your attention to in our study today. And this has to do with the victory of faith. Can you and I can you and I be victorious in our, Christian, in our Christian life? Well, the answer is yes. Listen to what John said in verse 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is a victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, let me, let me just say this. How do we come to understand the world for what it is? Or maybe, let me put it another way. How do we see the world for what it really is? We see it by the eye of faith, through the eye of faith. When you and I develop the kind of faith that the Bible talks about, and when we begin walking and living in accordance with the will of God, the bottom line is this, we come to see the world for what it really is. You see, faith brings clarity to the world. There are a lot of people today that are misinformed about the world. There are a lot of people today that misunderstand the world. And so, faith is what enables us to gain the victory. Now, faith does some things that maybe we ought to think about as these things relate to the world. First of all, I would submit unto you that faith, genuine faith, the kind of faith that the Bible talks about, faith enables us to see clearly the pollutions of this world. Who is the God of this world? Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, identifies Satan as the God of this age. Did you know what, do you know what Satan's trying to do? Satan is trying to distort, disrupt, and circumvent your faith in the Lord. Satan's doing everything that he can to destroy your faith in Almighty God. 
And so what you and I have to do is understand and see the world for what it really is. The world is filled with corruption. It's filled with pollution. It is dominated by the devil. And the devil wants to allure you. He wants to deceive you through what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He wants you to buy into his world system. And yet you and I, when we obey the gospel, Peter says, we are delivered out of the corruptions, the pollutions that are in the world. According to 2 Peter 1, verse 4, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 and following. So we escape the corruptions, the pollutions that are in the world when we obey the gospel. But you see, faith enables us to see the world for what it really is. It enables us to see that the world is filled with pollutions, corruptions. The world is that sphere that is dominated by the devil. And my question would be, why would we want to live under the reign of the devil? There is a second thing. Faith enables us to see that the world is replete or filled with problems. Jesus in John 16, 33 said, in the world you will have tribulation. I don't know of anybody this side of eternity that does not encounter some kind of problem. There are a lot of people that have any number of problems. Job said in Job 14:1, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. You live long enough and I promise you, you'll have some problems. And really when you look at people in our world today, you see people that are either on the brink of having problems, there are people that are having problems and there are people who are coming out of problems. Well, when we look at, at, at what the Bible says and we, we develop a sense of faith, Faith helps us deal with the problems of life. What is it that overcomes the world? Our faith. How do we overcome the problems of the world? Faith. We understand that problems, trials are temporary. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talked about his light affliction. He said, which is but for a moment. You live long enough, you're going to have some, tr some troubles and trials in this life. And then there's a third thing. Faith enables us to see that the world is passing away. And this is what we really need to see. This world, the world that we live in, it will one day pass away. It's not, it's not, this world is not eternal. The song that we sing, this world is not my home. It's not. You're not going to be here forever. You may live like you, you're going to be here forever, but I promise you one thing, you will not be here forever. John said in 1 John chapter 2, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life are not of the Father, but are of the world. And the world, he said, passes away. This world is coming to a crashing halt one day. Listen again to what John said. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, a hundred years from now, what do, you think, what do you think will matter to you? Be honest. Where you live today, the automobile you're driving, the clothes you're wearing, the jewelry that adorn your neck or on your fingers. I mean, what's, what's going to be important to you a hundred years from now? The only thing that I know that's going to be important to you is where you are, eternally speaking. 
You will either be with the Lord or you will be with the devil's people. We need to understand this world is passing away. With all the things that are in this world, they will be gone. We're on a battlefield, if you please. It is the battlefield of life. We're engaged in spiritual warfare. And the way that we live victoriously is by living a life of faith. I want to appeal to you today to live for Jesus Christ day in and day out. It may be that you're here today. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ. I want to encourage you to do that this day. Here's what you need to do. Believe that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. The Lord would have you to repent based on Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others, Matthew 10, 32, and then be immersed in water so that every sin might be washed away, Acts 22, 16. When you do that, God will add you to the church. And if you live faithfully, guess what? One day the promise is God will bequeath on you the crown of life because Jesus said be faithful unto death and the promise being the crown of life. If you're here today, you're not faithful to his cause, we want to encourage you to come home. John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come as we stand and sing.